What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 58, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode, Shades of Grey. And you can find us on Google Play Podcasts and on Spotify Podcasts and tell all your friends and family, put it in a Christmas or Holiday or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or Saturnalia card. Let everyone know that they can find us on these things. But also... You can find us on Apple Apple Play Podcasts. That's not Apple a thing. Apple Play Podcasts. That's not That's a thing. That's exactly right. No. Uh, Apple Podcasts. And on Apple Podcasts, uh, the offer still stands. If you put in a review, we will make a dramatic recreation of that review. Uh, and thanks to everybody who's been putting in rating or uh Yes, ratings. Uh, and uh, so, you know, they, they, they have been popping in. That helps people find us as well. Indeed. And uh, yeah, so uh, so Zach, uh, yes. if if a person wants some suggestions on uh, what to say inside a holiday card that might pertain to our podcast, uh, how could they uh, ask us for some input on that? If you need our input on what you can put in your Stargate themed Christmas cards or holiday cards or whatever it is, the easiest way of doing that, well, there's lots of easy ways of doing it. One of them <laughs> is to email us at walking through the stargate at gmail.com. That is mm-hmm. W-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-O-G-H-T-H-E-S-T-R-G-H-E at gmail.com. <laughs> Gmail. Gmail. Not, not Dmail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm kind of curious. I wonder if Dmail's a thing. All right, you keep going. I'm going to see if Dmail's oh, a thing. Oh, be careful, Wendt. Uh, be oh, careful you know. when you ask the internet for yeah. something. All right. So otherwise, or you could uh, follow us on Twitter. Find us on Twitter at Stargate Walking and uh, chat with us there and ask our questions there. Um, or on Facebook, uh, Walking Through the Stargate, we have got a Facebook page and a Facebook group that uh, we talk about some some things every once in a while that, that's uh, pertinent to this and sometimes not pertinent to this, but that's cool. Uh-huh. And a teaser that uh, we mentioned this last podcast, and we'll say it again this week, we are working on a Patreon page, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the, we're working on different tiers and different uh, bonuses, things that, that uh, could happen with different levels. Uh, so uh, pay attention to that as uh, we determine more. We got uh, some good ideas in the hopper. Indeed. Um, so, uh, Zach... Yes, Brent. I have discovered that D-mail is a thing. Oh, my. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, it's, okay. it's, it's, it, I think that there's multitudes of D-mail, but one thing that I found just now is that uh, D-mail is short for DeLorean mail. This is for, uh, this is for something. This is for some, what is this, a television show? Steins Gate? Oh, it's a visual novel. Oh, it's a game? I don't know. Uh, but uh, it's mail that travels back in time. So, uh, so, oh. so well, that would if anybody's sending us, DeLorean. yeah, exactly. If, uh, somebody's, uh, sending us, uh, mail from the future, uh, thank you. Appreciate your mail from the future. Uh, you know, let us know how things turn out and, uh, you can send it by, uh, by email, but we don't have an ad. We don't have an e- We don't have an email address for Dmail though. That's the, no, that's the, catch. no, the, the, the key is that, that right now we only have a Gmail account. So if you need to send it back in time, you will have to talk to Google somehow. Uh, but this is the future. So you already know all of these things, and you've already right. got it figured out. That's so right. So go ahead and future you, whomever future you is, email us into the past. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay, good. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Uh, so, Brent. Yes. Uh, the other day, I was 
actually listening to our podcast. Remarkably, I listen to our podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I noticed, and I hadn't noticed this before, though I'm sure you've done this for a while, is that there are actually chapter markings that in there. Yes. So that uh, we switch, or at least tags or something. I don't know. Yep, they're it chapters. It's called yep. chapter tag, chapters on Apple Podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But but I thought that was cool that 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 uh, we have like the introduction stuff and then you know our thoughts and and the synopsis and yeah. and blah 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 all that stuff. I like that's really cool, Brent. That's a, that's a cool little uh, tidbit in there. Thanks. And and that got me thinking. Yes. That long time ago we said we needed some jingles. You oh, know, yeah. just a little something to kind of you know pop in there when we get to the background facts and to jump in there when we get to the synopsis or something. Uh-huh. Uh, and so, and we haven't talked about this for a very long time, months and months, but I'm bringing it back. Listeners, if you have any skills at all uh, in, in in this type of audio uh, working, uh, sure. let us know. And, uh, you know, obviously these things don't have to be long. In fact, I don't want them to be long. You know, no, maybe, they should really only be like a second. Maybe like, yeah, yeah. Like, like five or six seconds at most, right? Just, mm-hmm. just a little tease, uh, but something that, that works into there. Um, so if that's something that, that strikes your fancy, uh, shoot us an email at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. And uh, let's, let's keep talking about that. Uh, sure. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Good idea. Thanks. Every once in a while, I have one. You have a lot of good ideas. You're fine. Oh. You're good. Okay. So, Brent, I do need to, at this point in time, shift gears a little bit, mm. uh, because it is time to remember uh, a an actor who has influenced um, my life in in uh, science fiction realm, mm-hmm. uh, René Aubergenois, mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. December 8, 2019, died at the age mm-hmm. of uh, 79. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was best known for playing Odo on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we will get a chance to see him in Stargate uh, at the near the beginning of season four. So we've just nice. got a few more episodes. We don't see Rene Aubergenois. Yeah, uh, and so we take this moment uh, to remember Rene. Yeah. Okay. So Brent. Hmm. Uh, this episode is entitled Shades of Grey. Mm-hmm. And this episode has some directors and teleplay writers and all of that stuff. Because remarkably, it did not just pop out of nowhere. You don't say. I, I do say. Oh, okay. I-, I do. It did not pop out of nowhere. Uh-huh. The director for Shades of Grey is Martin Wood. Uh-huh. Uh, this is his uh, one, two, three, four, fifth episode this season. Uh, this season he did Into the Fire, Fair Game, mm-hmm. Learning Curve, mm-hmm. Dead Man Switch, and then this Shades of Grey. He does have one more episode this season. Uh, now, if you go back in time, in season one, he did Solitudes and Politics, and in season two, he did In the Line of Duty, The Gamekeeper, Spirits, A Matter of Time, and Out of Mind. Mm-hmm. He uh, is one of those directors that has a huge impact on the show because he directed something in the neighborhood of like 56-odd episodes or whatever, uh, a ton of episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, we have 35 more episodes Directed by Martin Wood, 
uh, in season <laughs> uh, or in Stargate SG One. I was going to say in in season what there. <laughs> like, <no. laughs> in uh, and this actually reminds me, this isn't in our show notes, but I'm going to throw it out there now. Uh, so last time we uh, had a direct, an episode directed by Peter DeLuise, I guess that was Ergo, my brother did some calculating. And if you take uh, these four directors, Peter DeLuise, mm-hmm. Martin Wood, Andy Makita, uh, and William Waring... Mm-hmm. Uh, you haven't met William Waring yet, and I think, though, we have had Andy Makita. Didn't we have him once already, d- just I recently? I don't know. I don't. I can't recall. Uh, the, the, it's not ringing a bell, but it doesn't mean, oh, that yes. doesn't mean anything. He, he, Andy Makita did Foothold. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, so we've got Peter DeLuise, Andy Makita, Martin Wood, and then a William Waring. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you calculate it all out, uh, those four guys... Uh, directed just under 70% of all of the Stargate out Jeez, there. Jeez, Louise. <laughs> of the 352 episodes of Stargate, uh-huh. 246 <laughs> of them were directed by those four men. Wow. <laughs> wow. That is a lot. That is a lot of content. Yes. So uh, thanks to my brother Tim for uh, calculating that and finding that for us. Um, yes. And I said, oh, that would be a great little tidbit to throw in there next time one of these guys directs. And then I realized as I was talking now that, hey, one of those guys directs. So yep, there you go. Yeah. Uh, in future episodes, I didn't see him in this, but uh, as Martin continues on, uh, he, like Peter DeLuise, finds himself in uh, a cameo in the background in uh, almost all of his episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually okay. you will see him with Sergeant Seiler. So uh, we're Stargate Scotty. <laughs> Stargate uh, Scotty. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, usually the two will be back there somewhere tinkering on something or sure. another in the background yeah. of something. Nice. Uh, okay. I'll be, I'll be on the lookout I, then. <laughs> yep. So uh, that would be Martin. Uh, the teleplay for Shades of Grey is Jonathan Glasner. He's, of course, one of the mm-hmm. co-creators. He uh, wrote uh, Children of the Gods, Broke a Divide, Hathor, Within the Serpent's Grasp, all in season one. The mm-hmm. Gamekeeper, The Tok'ra, Parts 1 and 2, Show and Tell, and Out of Mind in Season 2. And in Season 3, he did Seth, Point of View, Forever in a Day, and finally, Shades of Grey. Mm-hmm. And I say finally because this is Jonathan's last writing credit of the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, chooses <laughs> at this point in time to uh, end his run with Stargate and move from Vancouver back to... Uh, California, probably mm-hmm. LA, but I don't remember where off the top of my head now. Um, and I was actually just listening to a Stargate retrospective type of thing, and they were talking about this that uh, um, he, both he and Brad Wright were on The Outer Limits, and they were working as writers and showrunners, blah, 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 all that stuff, whatever it was. Right. And uh, both of them approached uh, MGM to possibly do this show. Uh, for Jonathan Glasner, he was like, so I've been in Vancouver for a long time, and I kind of want to move back down to California and do all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what can we do to make you stay? And he's like, well, I have this idea for this show, and I suppose if you let me do this show, then then I'd be willing to stick around. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, well, why don't you talk to Brad over there? He happens to be one of your friends, because you've mm-hmm. both been working on the show together. And and so then uh, they made that transition 
over there. And so he did stick around for a few more years nice. after that. Yeah. Uh, but at this point in time, he does decide to uh, bid adieu to the, the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, in Shades of Grey, we got quite a number of guest actors. We welcome back Terrell Rothery and Tom McBeath as Colonel Harold Mayborn. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also see again Steve McCodge as Colonel Makepeace. Yep. Uh, he nice. returns as well as well as Marie Stillen, who is High Chancellor Travell. Yep. And then we. I do was actually surprised co- to see her this uh, as soon as I did. I was like, ah, "Oh, hey, well, here we yeah, are." Yep, here she is. She's back again. And we had to do a couple of new folks to it. Uh, we've got uh, Christian Bacher as Major Newman. Newman. He was born in '62. Uh, he's known for uh, being part of the Collector in 2004, Time Cop in 1997, and of course Stargate SG One. Uh, he will return. The actor will return. Uh, in a couple more episodes as a different character for SG-1. And I think he also pops in for an Atlantis episode later. Mm -hmm. Um, But his filmography on IMDb ends in 2006, uh, which is, of course, quite a number of years ago from now. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, uh, I don't know why. So, But in 2006, he decided to retire and move on to different things, presumably. Okay. Um, also this character, Major Newman, apparently, according to this episode, was seen in the episode Touchstone, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, but, uh, I did some looking and, uh, Christian was not the actor who played any of those characters. I think the one that they're talking about is probably played by Conan Graham. Um, but, uh, who cares? That was that episode. Right. Sure. Um. And then we also have uh, Lieutenant Claire Tobias, played by mm-hmm. Linnea, uh, Linnea Sharples. She's mm-hmm. uh, best known for her work on Chaos Theory in 2008, and she's also on a few episodes of Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, okay. Um, this is her only Stargate credit. Um, there is a future episode where I think we see this character come back, um, but it could be a different character. I can't remember now. And I couldn't figure it out. Didn't have enough time to figure it out. Sure. Uh, so, who knows? We may. We may not. We may. We may not. All right. This episode, Shades of Grey, aired originally on February 11, 2000. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the U.S. and the U.K., they were still listening to I Knew I Loved You and Rise by Savage Garden and <laughs> yeah. Gabrielle, <laughs> respectively. Yeah. So. I, I uh, totally. Uh, that we, we had pretty much a pretty. Pretty pretty big swing and a miss with uh, with our expectations of Rise. Well, you uh, know, you can't you can't win them all, I guess. No, but um, so be it. They the UK still liked it one week later. Yep, um, and it was still number one uh, in the box office. We have Screen Three as number one, uh, and then we have three new movies: The Beach, Snow Day, and The Tigger Movie. <laughs> and to round mm-hmm. out the top five is the hurricane. Nice. Um, other than Scream Three, I don't remember any of those mm. movies. I remember. Well, I no, I I never saw the Tigger movie. I I vaguely recall that it existed, but nope. I mean, yes, Scream Three as well. Yep. But those sure. other ones, no idea. Yep. Cool. Um. So on February 9th, this would be roughly two days before. Uh, This episode airs, the 50th annual Berlin International Film Festival occurs, 
and Magnolia wins the Golden Bear. The Golden Bear. I have seen that. The Golden Bear. All right. Uh, February 12th was the 31st uh, NC, or NAACP Image Awards, and the Best Man wins Outstanding Motion Picture. Mm-hmm. On February 13th, the last original Peanuts comic strip appears in newspapers only one day after Charles M. Schultz dies. Oh, uh, yeah. So uh, mm-hmm. that was 19 years ago, almost mm-hmm. 20. Mm-hmm. And on February 14th, aside from being Valentine's Day and aside from being uh, multiple members of my family's birthday, uh, (laughs) the spacecraft near Shoemaker, or N-E-A-R, Shoemaker, uh, enters orbit around asteroid 433 Eros. It is the first spacecraft to orbit an asteroid. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. go space. Yay, space. I like space. I like space. Because if we didn't have space, we'd all be squished. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, this is true. This is this is by definition true. Yes. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> it's like trying to put three-dimensional people in a two-dimensional world. Uh, it, it wouldn't uh, work. It doesn't. It, it, it's pretty scary. Yeah. Actually, without space, we'd be in a one-dimensional world. I can't we fathom We would be that. a point. Yeah. We would be. Yep. Yeah. All right. So enough shenanigans <laughs> for now. Speaking of point, let's get to it. Hey oh Wow. We're at surly at this is five thirty in the evening. This uh, yeah, right? I mean, this is after all a Stargate podcast. You wouldn't know it though, but you know. You you know, we're a Stargate podcast. We're gonna start we be we're talking about Stargate right now. Right As of second. this episode, Stargate, Dr. Stargate, Frazier Stargate. has been promoted from the rank of captain to the rank of major. Uh, you can see this because uh, when she salutes like a Canadian and not like an American, uh, as O'Neill <laughs> leaves, uh, you can actually see the golden leaves on her shoulders instead of the, the captain bars. Congratulations, Dr. Frazier. Indeed. Um, let's see here. Uh, when Mayborn visits Jack's house for the second time, Jack is reading Mad Magazine number 385, which was published in June of 1999. And at that time, the opera that he was listening to uh, was Vesti la Guiba, which is put on your costume. I butchered that. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. It's from uh, Pagliacci, which mm-hmm. is the, uh, the the clown, by Ruggiero Leon Cavallo. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there you have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple more things here. Uh, John Glasner uh, credits Richard Dean Anderson for the idea of this episode. Uh, uh, RDA comes to him and wants to shake things up and, and uh, have O'Neill go dark side for a little bit. He wanted to explore that dark side. Um, sure. But uh, they thought uh, it probably wouldn't be a good idea for O'Neill to actually go truly dark side. That would make that a much harder uh, redeem redemption for him. Uh, in fact, they say it would be it would have been irredeemable, um, but uh, instead that gave him this idea of maybe he goes um, off the rails a little bit. Sure, and it's all a a ploy for that. Um, also, uh, Martin Wood really really wanted to do that uh, that uh, shot. So this is the shot as O'Neill leaves. Uh, and he walks through the gate, and it's it's the SGC on one side, and just it's the beautiful yeah. landscape on yep. the other, which is actually a really beautiful shot. Yep. 
Um, and he wanted to do that. And most of the people in the room were like, oh, that, that's not how Stargate physics works. It doesn't work that way. It's not an instantaneous thing. It's, it takes time for somebody to get from one planet to another planet. And finally, <laughs> uh, uh, who was it? Michael Greenberg, who was, I believe, one of the executive producers, one of the big wigs in all of this stuff, says, uh, we're doing it. It's cool. So it was cool. It. So, um, in addition to that, uh, in French, they call this episode Betrayals. Mm-hmm. In Spanish, it's uh, neither white nor black. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Hungarian, it's Dark Matters. <laughs> and in German, it's O'Neill auf Abwegen, which is O'Neill going astray. <laughs> well, a little on the nose. <laughs> well, leave it to those Germans. Yeah, to be like, what? We're just saying what, what it is. What? Come on. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I, I kind of find it interesting that, that Spanish moved from shades of gray to neither white or black, <laughs> which is you know, <clears throat> true. It's also very true. That's right. Um, okay, I do have a couple of, uh, I guess we'll call them goofs for this. Mm-hmm. Um, when O'Neill is playing chess with himself, he takes a move with his king, which is technically illegal because he moves his king into a check position f- from his opponent's queen. So, He was distracted. The, fo- the, the doorbell was ringing a lot. Eh, that's Come true. On. All right. In any case, also... Uh, when O'Neill is talking to Newman over the uh, communications ball, uh, he apologizes for uh, returning fire. However, if you went back to Touchstone, the episode, uh, none of those guys actually fires back. Details. Just, just yeah. Details. But, but, I do have a third goof that's not listed oh. here that I noticed. Okay. So, Dan- so Daniel Jackson visits uh, the house of, of Jack. <clears throat> Correct. And, uh, and uh, basically asks for a beer, and uh, Jack goes into the kitchen to do so, and and uh, you can see him wrenching on a bottle cap that is a screw top, and off it pops, and you can hear a little sound effect of you know that happening. And he walks by, and he's he's flinging the bottles around as if there's no liquid inside it. There's that, and then he hands the bottle to uh, to Jack, no to to Daniel. Daniel sits down with it. They're they're talking back and forth, and then almost immediately, the bottle that Daniel is holding has a cap on it and it's not a screw top cap. It's a regular, yeah. like, you know, yeah. lever, lever, ta- lever, lever cap, lever cap. Um, and, and I was sitting there just like, you know, yeah, whatever. But, uh, you know, I'm actually a little surprised that that was not listed as a goof because I was just like, Oh wow. It's right there. It's you know, right I there. Actually, uh, when I, when I was rewatching this the other day, I noticed that I'm like, wait yes. a second. Yes. You know, and then here you go. Here's your beer with a cap on it. With a gap on it, yep. <laughs> um, and but, uh, yeah, that that wasn't actually in any of the the goofs that I read online, which is yeah. actually surprising because I noticed it right away. Most of these goofs, uh, with a few exceptions, uh, I, I get engrossed enough in the rest of the story that I don't pay attention that closely to them and I miss them. Um, yeah. So. Yep. But yeah, nope. that I bottle that cap one. one, I noticed that one right away. I'm like, <laughs> oh, hey, that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, shall we get to the synopsis for Shades of Grey? Yes, let's dig into this thing. All right. SG-1 goes to Talana to negotiate a treaty with the Tolan people. 
Dr. Jackson asks for an exchange of knowledge and technology. Specifically, they want one of those big honking space guns to help defend Earth from a potential attack by the Gua'uld. High Chancellor Travell refuses, citing their policy against sharing their technology with others. While Jackson tries to reason with the Tolan, Colonel O'Neill gets angry. Really angry. He storms out with the rest of SG-1 following behind. Pausing in the hallway, O'Neill pulls a device out of the wall. This device has the capability of disabling weapons that pass by it, and they return to Earth. The debriefing is understandably awkward. Hammond seems excited by the prospect of this new device until he discovers that O'Neill stole it. There's some yelling, some threats of insubordination and courts-martial. Everyone looks uncomfortable. O'Neill is relieved of duty and is sent to the infirmary under Teal'c's guard. O'Neill's actions cause a diplomatic event. The mm-hmm. Tolans discover the theft and come to Earth demanding the technology back and claiming that they will cut ties with Earth completely. Hammond gives Jack one option. Early retirement. He takes it. When Daniel, later Daniel visits Jack at home in an attempt to figure out what's going on. O'Neill insults him, tells him that apparently his teammates don't really know him at all, and that he is now finally acting like himself. Now retired and unaffiliated with Stargate Command, O'Neill is approached by Colonel Harold Mayborn, our favorite greasy colonel, to take part in a secret operation regarding the Stargate. O'Neill finally accepts Mayborn's proposal and joins a rogue team whose standing orders are to acquire technology from other worlds through whatever means is necessary. O'Neill has already met one of the members. Major Newman is one of the men who fled through the second gate when SG-1 recaptured it and the touchstone device back in Utah about a year prior to this. Newman. Newman. The retired colonel's first mission is to steal what turns out to be an Asgard invisibility device from an Asgard-protected planet. Back at the SGC, Sam, Teal'c, and Daniel are informed that SG-1's new commanding officer will be none other than Colonel Robert Makepeace. Daniel objects and thinks Sam should be the leader of SG-1, but Major is a far cry from Colonel. Suffice it to say, Teal'c and Daniel aren't happy with this. Teal'c even stoically storms out, not saying anything. After O'Neill's team returns to their base, Newman explains that they attempt to reverse-engineer larger items, but for smaller items, like this invisibility device, they can smuggle it back to Earth through their mole in the SGC. Mayborn gives them the drop-off address for the device, and O'Neill offers to run the mission himself. The best way to understand a command is to do every job at least once, right? Arriving at the planet, where the mole will soon be, O'Neill hides the Asgard device underneath a rock near the dial-home device. But before he can dial back, the Stargate opens. O'Neill is able to hide himself in a small grove of trees and watches as SG-1 passes through the gate. He waits and watches as SG-1 does their work. He sees Teal'c walk by the DHD and wonders, is Teal'c the mole? Nope, not Teal'c. As SG-1 prepares to depart, Colonel Makepeace leans over to retie his boot right next to the DHD. When no one else appears to be looking, he snags the Asgard device and hides it in his jacket. SG-1 returns home. 
O'Neill returns to his new base of operations, but before uh, the gate closes, the address is scanned by the Asgard. It doesn't take long at all before an Asgard mothership descends upon the rogue NID base and begins to transport all the stolen stuff onto their ship. People start to panic. O'Neill seems unsurprised. And after punching Newman in the jaw, O'Neill dials Earth and departs, inviting the rogue NID agents to make a choice. Stay and be captured by the Asgard, or escape through the Stargate and be captured by SGC personnel. The rogue team decides to follow O'Neill and arrives at the SGC, where Hammond has them arrested. O'Neill asks Makepeace for some cuffs and immediately uses them to arrest the Makepeace Mole. <laughs> O'Neill and Hammond reveal to the remaining members of SG-1 that O'Neill's uncharacteristic actions at the request of the Tolan and the Asgard were a ploy to get Mayborn to reveal the location of the rogue team, which had been damaging Earth's interest by stealing off-world technology. Carter, Teal'c, and Daniel are all understandably offended that they weren't in on the plan, though Hammond explains that he had to be sure their reactions were genuine. Not to mention that, not to mention that the Asgard were the ones who had requested that O'Neill be the only one involved. They like him. As the reunited SG-1 <laughs> leave the gate room, O'Neill pulls Daniel aside and apologizes for his behavior, saying that their friendship is actually solid and that it was really meaningful to him that Daniel was the one who came and visited him in the midst of all this, to which Daniel, straight-faced, tells him that it didn't really mean anything. They drew straws. He lost. <laughs> the end. The end. So, Brent. Yeah. Shades of Grey. What'd you think? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, <clears throat> I, I, I think, uh, I think I'm going to have to ask, uh, ask you and everybody else who's listening to just bear with me a little bit as I take you through my thought process as I was watching this episode. So, it starts off and O'Neill, uh, gets salty right at the start. And I think that he's playing bad cop and he walks through the hallway and he, uh, yoinks, uh, a, a thing out of the wall, a piece That's of technology out of the term, wall. Isn't it? Yoink. yoink. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He yoinks okay. a thing. And I then immediately recall the, the, the trailer that was made, uh, last week. And I'm like, Oh, right. That's right. Um, uh, Jack's going to go, Jack's going to, Jack's going to get kicked out and go rogue in this episode. I, I forgot about that. But even still, it felt a little forced. Um, it felt a little, it felt a little uh, curious. Like that's, uh, that doesn't really seem to add up. This seems a little too sudden or this seems a little too strong or something. Something just didn't make sense. And <clears throat> uh, they get back uh, and, you know, he is, uh, he's, he's being real lippy. And it just seems a little, it just seems a little overblown. And then everybody reacts in the way that I expect them to. Again, I'm aware that somehow this story is going to turn him getting, you know, kicked out and, 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 you know, joining, joining some secret organization. Right. I, I, I know this, but you know, in the story, 
everybody reacts as, as I expect them to. He's going to the infirmary. He's getting checked out. Like maybe he got infected by some bug. You know, we've seen it. We've seen we've seen things happen in the stories that have dramatically affected members of uh, SG one. So, you know, they're doing the thing. They're doing it exactly as 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 they were saying. Um, uh, Jack has uh, that quick conversation with Sam where Sam basically says something like, um, you know, uh, you know, you're not acting like I know, or, you know, this isn't how I know you to be or something. And Jack immediately answers basically saying, you know, look, here's the deal. This is the real me. I just haven't been acting like myself lately. Basically, this is kind of what he says. And it's, it's plausible. It's plausible. Ever since I've met you, I haven't been acting the way, you know, like this is me type of a thing. And I, and then I'm, I'm, I'm starting to kind of be like, Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, uh, again, it's still feeling a little strong, but you know, okay, let's keep going with it. We get over to Jack's house. Daniel comes by and Jack explains the whole Pentagon blocking the off world SGC idea. Uh, you know, and, uh, Daniel makes the connection of, Oh, you've got, you got snubbed for a command. This is why you're grumpy. And, uh, Jack retorts like, no, that's not why I'm grumpy. But, in that moment, I'm I'm given a, a little bit more information, and I'm like, okay, um, I, I still am saying to myself, it's a little weird that it's coming on as strong as it is, but it it certainly is making a degree of narrative sense why Jack is suddenly as salty as he is, right? Mm-hmm. And again, mm-hmm. I, I I am once again aware that somehow he's going to end up doing you know going a little bit rogue, right? You know, I mean, oh, this is all just set up, but at least the plausibility factor is kind of rising pretty nicely for me. Okay. Um, Mayborn comes by, uh, you know, he gets the offer, uh, and then uh, the scene in the backyard. He's you know Jack sitting down reading a Mad magazine, listening to some opera, and I immediately recognize the opera piece, um, and. And that moment, I was sitting there like, this is important. They didn't pick that. They didn't pick that operatic piece for nothing. This, this matters. So I was just kind of noticing and thinking and letting the scene happen. And, and then they start doing their thing. So Jack goes and, you know, he gets his little command and he goes off world. And he meets all the guys and they make, they make the Seinfeld joke a couple times, which I thought was kind of funny. Obviously, I keep repeating <laughs> it. But um <clears throat> and right, you know, hello, Newman. Um, uh, and you know, he's talking with the, he's talking with the hard, with the, with the slouchy kind of scrabbly thiefy type people. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's feeling, um, fine. It's feeling fine. It's not, fe- it's feeling a little awkward, but, it, but I was expecting it to feel awkward, right? Like here mm-hmm. he is being okay. thrown into the middle of a, of a, an operation that is just, just flatly, uh, I was about to say flatly illegal. Um, and you know, within the constructs of military operations, like I'm not sure if things outside like articles of war or, um, or, or, um, like international rules of war or whatever. I mean, I'm not sure if that actually is a thing, but whatever he's, you know, it's, it's clearly, uh, unethical. That's for dang sure. Um, and, so he's doing his thing. He's talking with the crew. They go and they do their thing. And so then, when when the when the uh, when the moment comes where he says, "I'm going to do this thing myself," uh, <clears throat> it it was feeling like a natural like thing to do. This seems like Jack O'Neill for sure. 
it also jives because uh, I can totally understand how he wouldn't necessarily trust Mayborn or any of these people. So it makes sense for him to want to be doing stuff by himself for a little bit to 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 kind of get a feel for the thing. Mm-hmm. Side note, I wasn't aware of this, but later on I realized it. At this point in the story, I mean, it's pretty meaningfully along. It's like a half an hour in. And um, I hadn't noticed that we were running out of time in this episode. I Hmm. also didn't really put it together like in this moment where I was in the story, like somehow Jack's got to get back to the SGC. Like somehow this is going to have to resolve. I think uh, at that moment I was feeling like maybe this is like a parallel story arc that's about ready to get set up or something. Maybe this is something that'll take a few episodes. Um, You know, I mean, that was kind of what I was feeling might be happening in this moment, but I wasn't really paying attention. I was paying attention to the story. So they do their thing. They go to this planet. That's an Asgard protected world. They're stealing a piece of technology from a group of vulnerable people. I'm sitting here thinking to myself, Jack is not going to feel good about that. Like, uh, they're not stealing tech from a group of people that have tech lying around and can do amazing things with tech. They're stealing a piece of Asgard technology from a group of people that are running away from predators. Like, like that. I was thinking to myself, there's no way Jack's going to feel good about this. Right. And I'm, I'm getting my recalling mixed up because then Jack says, I'll do the drop myself. And that, that decision made sense, right? Because like I said, they're stealing tech from an, uh, from a weak people uh and it makes sense for him to be like you know i don't feel so good about this i don't trust these guys so off he goes you know he does this thing he puts a little hides hides the thing under the rock the gate immediately starts dialing up and you know of course he hides Uh, you know all of this is making sense sg1 pops out and i'm like and i didn't and i'm and i was like oh okay all right there was yeah and then you know teal stands by the the dhd and now i'm starting to put it together right the mole oh uh you know who's gonna be the mole um, when make peace drops down to one knee and takes it, it's like, uh, huh. Yep. Make peace. You mole, you, ha ha ha. Um, <laughs> the make peace mole. And then I was thinking, ah, this is how Jack is going to get back to the SGC. He's going to make nice and eat humble pie, but he's going to have a critical in because he's going to help, uh, he's going to help general Hammond, uh, uh, capture the mole basically like this was going to be the way he was going to get in okay and so off he goes back over to the world uh to the the little hideout world uh immediately the asgard show up and start taking stuff and i'm like yep okay fine oh yeah thor not me not thor i don't know it might have been thor um you know it looks like thor could be fine thor Thor, Thor jr thor jr um thor jr shows up and I don't think anything weird of it. Additionally, the puppet, <laughs> this is where the puppet thing works out great. The puppet is expressive, but not that expressive. And so I can't read his like eyelided face that moves at different rates. You know what I mean? It's just like him being yeah. like, rrr, rrr. so I, there's a certain ominous quality to that. I, well, I mean, guess. It, well, I mean, it's just when, when, when I saw Thor there in that moment, I'm going to call him Thor. Uh, it was like this, this, this kind of look that's like, uh, you know, I guess maybe it's more like the way the camera zoomed in. You're like, well, okay, so now oh, yeah, the Asgard yeah. know about this. What yeah. are they going to do? Yeah, What's yeah, happening yeah. here? So, so the Asgard show up and start taking back their tech, and Jack immediately dials a gate address and says, look, we're going this way, or you can stick around here. Um, I didn't know where this way was. I thought it might have been someplace I didn't know. 
Who knows? It just seemed like a natural, like a like a thing that Jack would do. Um, again, I'm completely oblivious as to the as to the time count in the episode at this point. They pop through, and it's into the SGC, and I'm still at this moment not picking up that Jack <laughs> is a double agent. I'm sitting here like, how'd they get that? I mean, like, all right, okay, cool. Here they are. And obviously this is going to work out fine because obviously Makepeace is a mole. This is going to be fine. But like, there's going to be a little bit of a moment of, of, you know, of Hammond being gruff and Jack having to apologize. You know what I mean? Like this, this is not just going to be smooth as silk. And, you know, as soon as Jack starts to cuff Makepeace, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. This makes, this is fine. Yeah. Of course. Obviously. And only then... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when, when when Jack starts like standing like all normal like and and Hammond is like awesome job dude I'm like oh he was a double agent the whole time <laughs> and so so the the episode wraps up and the episode wraps up great because at the tail 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 end we have another gotcha in the form of of Jackson admitting that actually he didn't show up because he out of this overabundance of of uh, of concern for Jack he they drew straws and he lost um <laughs> the moment felt just a little bit trite but not bad trite it was it was a television wrap up an episode trite and i was 100% fine with that moment for sure like right, not right. actually yep. thinking to myself how would the team be reacting emotionally if they had thought all this time that jack had had been doing this stuff genuinely right like i was willing to let all that go just because it was a pretty good little twist right now here's the thing though even though we're at the end of the episode and my recounting this is not where i stopped thinking about the episode okay. i watched it this morning uh and about a half an hour before we were originally going to be recording. And I was just chewing on this episode like crazy sitting there like, wow, that was fun. I liked that. And then I remembered, I was like, right. What was that thing about the opera scene again? And I was like, Oh, that was an Easter egg. He was reading a mad magazine and listening to that one opera where it's the clown on stage saying, basically, time to put on my costume and make people laugh, even though I'm all heartbroken inside. That scene in the opera, that moment, that that part of the song is the character proclaiming he doesn't have a heart for this. This is not who he is, but he's got to put on the, the costume and do the show now. And as soon as I remembered that within the context of the story, I was like, Oh, dang, that was like a nice fat Easter egg right there. He's reading Mad Magazine. He's reading something that is like it intended to be crazy in a in a box, listening to a guy talk about how he's got to put on his costume now, even though he doesn't have the heart for this thing. And then I mean, in the middle of that moment where where he's talking to Mayborn and putting on his costume and saying, yeah, sure, I'm going to totally do this with you. And then I started thinking about some of the other symbolism in it in the episode, specifically him playing chess with himself like that moment shown twice. Fine. There's a technical error in there. He made a wrong move. But that moment I was like, oh, my gosh, who wrote this? Who directed this? Because those were very intentional decisions. 
that we're extremely intentional to put into our minds the concepts of stratagem, the concepts of him playing against himself, the concepts of those who know what the story of the opera is, of 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 there being a false front being put up. Um, and I, you know, I didn't pick it up at the time. I just knew that it was like important. I just kind of made a mental note, like, oh, I, they wouldn't have just picked any. Old, they didn't pick just any old opera. They picked a specific one, and. Then, once I started kind of putting all of that together, the richness of this episode and the story in total and the fact that I was entranced the whole time and the fact that I didn't see it coming, fine. There's probably a hundred million people in the world that saw it coming a mile away. I'm not one of them. Um, it, it, it hit in a pleasant way at the tail end exactly when it was supposed to. And this episode, I haven't done this, but I want to rewatch this episode and now look watch this episode with the knowledge that he that jack is actually being a double agent in this one like what other little uh visual clues or little symbols were just popped in here and here there and everywhere in this episode i don't know maybe no no others maybe i found the only two but it as you can see as you can clearly tell from my jibber jabbering (laughs) and and the excitement which which i'm recounting this thing i enjoyed the snot out of this episode oh good it was it was fantastic. Yes. So that was actually going to be uh, that was a very long answer to the question that I haven't asked yet. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I was curious as uh, at what point did you realize that uh, uh, O'Neill was playing them? I have yeah, seen this it, episode dozens of times, probably sure uh, sufficiently number of times. That I don't remember the first time I saw this. I don't remember that experience of watching this and then seeing this unfold like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, from the very beginning of this episode, in my memory, I knew that he was a double agent from the whole thing. Right. Uh, obviously, that first time, at least, I didn't, but I don't remember that. Um, and so my question is like, at what point in time did you think of it? I was trying to watch this episode this time and trying to imagine when would, when would I kind of notice something was up? And for me, as I watched it this time, it struck me that things got pretty obvious when he got back to the NID base after, um, seeing Makepeace take the Asgard technology. Um, right there, he gets in there and, and he is... Like back to his old snarky stuff, and you, know, you would expect O'Neill when he's being O'Neill, yeah, to have yeah. complete and utter disregard for all that these guys stand for and are doing. And up until this point, he's kind of uh held that down a little bit, and in that moment, all of that just comes pouring out of him, sure. um, uh, with a punch course, in the face to Newman. <clears throat> with a punch in the face to Newman, as the Asgard are taking the stuff, and he's like, Yep. They're probably taking their stuff that you stole, you rats, you know, you terrible people, you, you evil, vile villains, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, you can go with the Asgard. Actually, I did begin to think, if any of them chose to go with the Asgard, what would the Asgard have done to them? It's a good question. I mean, theoretically, probably nothing, nothing... Terrible, because the Asgard are not terrible. Right. Based on what I know about the Asgard... In totality, trying to look at only what I know about the Asgard so far, I think that uh, um, they probably would not have been treated terribly harshly. Agreed. Um, they probably would have found themselves in a place that that wasn't ideal, 
but they they you know and they wouldn't be living in a lap of luxury right. uh still held up by the aliens but uh uh it probably wouldn't be the torturous experience that it might have been if it were the Gua'uld, for instance oh yeah uh, totally and and so then i'm like they don't know nothing about the asgard because this is such a uh <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! Right, you are so going to get a worse treatment. Yes, if you go back than you yeah. are with Asgard. <laughs> well, I mean, from my point of view in that moment, what I thought was happening was that I thought O'Neill had a change of heart, not that he was playing him the whole time. Right, mm. I thought we were we were having a television moment, which I was all in on. I was right there. I was like, "Yep," and this is where our hero comes back to his senses, and he's gonna have to he's gonna have to rebuild a bridge or two, but. But Jack's back. I didn't realize Jack never went away <laughs> until <laughs> until another minute or two after that moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, um, and I did notice, like, this episode does wrap up very, very fast. It, it um, does. It does. But it doesn't feel bad that way. I agree. Um, you know, uh, and uh, uh, one of my favorite moments, honestly, is, is the very end as uh, uh, the team is walking past O'Neill and uh, uh, Teal just pauses for a minute and looks at at uh, uh, O'Neill, and then he kind of walks off again. And just that look in yep. uh, Teal's face <laughs> at that point in time is is just like you, you're dumb. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, without saying a word. Without saying a word. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, wow. I liked this one, and. And again, I acknowledge, so fine, I did say that I want to rewatch this one again, because right. now I know, and now I want to see if, if there are other clues in there. I completely acknowledge that the rewatchability of this particular episode might not be that high. Like, I might watch it one more time, catch what I need, catch what I want to catch, and then uh, every subsequent rewatching after this would be far less enjoyable because I wasn't excuse me, I wasn't taken along the journey like I was this first time. Well, so um, I, I would say, Brent, that I don't think you'd have to worry about that. Um, yeah. Because okay. I don't remember the time when I didn't know how this ended. And I still enjoy watching this again and again. Sure. This is an episode that I, I enjoy, genuinely enjoy watching. Uh, I, I don't, you know... Uh, I don't remember uh, O'Neill not being O'Neill, uh, but sure. this episode, right. you know, there are some episodes and I will watch to get through them as I move on uh, to whatever's next. But uh, this is one that, that I enjoy being there for. Mm -hmm. So I suspect that it still holds up over time. Um, yeah. Uh, I will admit that uh, I was not terribly familiar with that opera. So that sure. little... Tidbit uh, is one that I missed, and uh, thank you very much for bringing that to my attention. I find that absolutely delightful. Um, I loved it. It was a pretty. That was a nice little Easter egg. I mean, it was it was very obvious. Um, you know, it's a well known opera. He turns it up right at the right on the line that everybody knows. Like you know, and 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 I don't actually. I should really be prefacing it. I am not an opera. Uh, aficionado. I, I was about to say fan, and I'm like, you know what? The word fan after opera? No, you can't do that. You have to use some <laughs> fancy word. Um, <clears throat> I'm not an opera aficionado. I am aware of that story 
for reasons, and I can't even remember what reasons, I guess probably because I was curious one day and I looked into it probably on Wikipedia. But, um, you know, I also then looked further about that one song because, like I said, it's kind of a central point to the the story uh, within the opera and you know, it, and it's well loved and it's, you know, when it's done well, it's really emotive and it's a really good example of how music can, uh, can really trans uh, transmit emotion like really, really, really well. Um, right. So, you know, that's why everybody knows it or well, that's why it's well known. And then of course it's used in, in movies and television pretty regularly. Like that one, that, that line, that whole bar or that's that phrase that's sung there. So Jack turns it up right there at the right phrase, and there was just enough about that timing of it that it stuck out. And I said to myself, pay attention to that, because there's something about that that's important. And then after having seen the episode and revisiting the whole thing and thinking about it again, I was like, oh, my gosh, that thing was just like telling us like right there, plain as day. People are not who they think they are, who they say they are. Um, and, you know, one might be able to infer even further. People don't actually have the heart for this. That one's debatable. It seemed to me like Jack had the heart for this. Um, but, you know, and it, it was really weird that he was reading a Mad magazine listening to opera. Like those two <laughs> things, they don't go together. And so it was also like, wow, that's a curious choice. But it was it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. That was great. Yeah. So. Um, you will recall that in previous episodes, I have, uh, mentioned that there have been some foreshadowing and such. Yes. And, um, to me, if you watch the last, the previous four or five episodes, I don't remember exactly how many, uh, I think that you see some of, uh, Jack's surliness build just a little bit here and there. Gotcha. Um, uh-huh. Uh, now, as I rewatched it this time, and you listen to the timeline, and they suggested like it was just a couple of weeks ago where the Tolan and the Asgard knocked on our door and said this independently, blah blah blah, all of that stuff. Right. That doesn't fit with uh, the timeline that I have in my head, but uh, to heck with that. Uh, I think sure. that yeah. <laughs> that uh, a lot of the the surliness because you. I would say that there are a number of scenes, and now I can't remember them off the top of my head, uh, that, that O'Neill gets just a bit surly uh, with some things. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, all of that uh, really comes to a head in this episode um, where it, it just ratchets up to 11. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, And then, of course, you get the call back to uh, Lara from last week. Yes. Yep. Um, for that. Um, and uh, yeah. I like this one. This was a fun yep. one. So, Brent. Yes. Um, you liked it. I liked mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. now it is time, that same time that we happen every week, where we say, out of seven chevrons, how many chevrons this episode gets. Okay, to be fair, it's the specific episode, not this episode. We don't say how many chevrons of this episode we get every episode. Right. True. Right. Yes. Right. Okay. Correct. Just, just wanted to clarify because I'm it, it, certain sure, yeah. somebody out there wasn't thinking that. Uh, By somebody, fair. I mean everybody. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. In any case, yes. All right. I'm being stupid. Fix no, me. you're not. It's fine. It's, Save me. It's it's six o'clock. Sure, I can help. Okay. How many do you, so, so you want me to answer the question? How many does, okay, yeah, fine. All right. So, um, yeah. how, how, hi, okay. Zach. Um, yeah. Brent, do you want to start? How many yes. chevrons does Shades of Gray get? Is that what you needed? 
that's 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 what I needed. <laughs> I'm sitting there just like, well, you haven't asked me the right question yet, Zach. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. So, Shades of Grey. Uh, it started off a little rocky, uh, but it gave me enough story for me to synthesize that early information in a way that didn't feel like it was incongruous. It felt a little startling, but it was starting to kind of come together in a way that made me say, okay, all right. It built into a crescendo with little juicy, thoughtful nuggets along the way, at least juicy, thoughtful nuggets for me along the way. I got lost in the story. I started to really be thinking about like to just, I was just, let it, uh, enjoying the story transpire in front of me like it was coming along coming along to the point that i completely lost track of what time it was within the within the episode and it it ended in a spot where with literally like two minutes left in the episode only then did i realize the the culminating moment of it it felt like i was watching the movie the usual suspects uh at the tail end of the movie there's a big aha i felt like this happened happened to me like there was a big aha moment and it was right at the end and it felt like a really satisfying aha and then i immediately was thinking about the episode as soon as i finished watching it and i was recalling stuff and i was brewing on it and also the story for the season and the story for the series on the whole was moved along in this episode it did wrap up pretty tidy but what we have established is that the Tolan and the Asgard are completely willing to pop by on Earth to communicate and to uh, to talk, you know, to, to engage in such a regular way that General Hammond was like, yeah, this thing, you know, they came by a couple of weeks ago and we were taking care of this thing. We also then have make uh, we also have. Yeah, we got make peace and he's a he's a mole boo on him. And we also have Mayborn. Uh, leading this covert operation. He's still out there right now. Mm -hmm. um, and we still have this covert operation thing. This is just one unit of that covert operation thing. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole wing of, of, of us governmental military action that is still actively trying to steal stuff out there. So, so that thing's moved along that they, they've gotten, they've gotten more bad. And the arc of Jack O'Neill, I feel has been moved forward just a bit because uh, he had to play it up a little bit and yeah, fine. In a, in a very technical sense, he got reset back to zero, but I don't know. It felt like I got to know him a little better on the whole, on the whole scale. Yeah. So for those of you paying close attention, I just said, I got engrossed in the story. It moved the series story far uh, along. I really enjoyed the snot out of it and I keep thinking about it. Friends, that is a seven out of seven chevrons. This Woo! episode was, this episode was fantastic. Now, I can completely respect. That's why I was bringing that caveat about the rewatchability. I can totally see how this is a seven for me because this is the first time I've seen it. So, oh, my gosh, this was a great time. Uh, and I wonder if I see it many times, if it will lose a little bit of that luster. I am encouraged to hear you say, Zach, that indeed this has a, a good amount of rewatchability. I'm willing to accept somebody else saying, you know, it's it's a good one, but it's not a seven for me. It's more like a six or maybe even a five kind of, you know, depending on how a person falls, especially if they picked up that uh, Jack was the good guy all along. I'm serious. I was I was sold hook, line and sinker since the beginning. Um, so, yeah, it was just a delight. I really loved it. It was really good. Cool. So what do you think? So what did I think? See, I was waiting for the question, too. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So, Zach, Shades of Grey. How many chevrons out of seven does Shades of Grey get? 
Okay, to be fair, I was ask, waiting for the question that said, so what do you think? Because that's mm-hmm. what you mm-hmm. ask me at this point in time. But that's okay. We'll run with okay. it. Okay, we can All roll right. with it. Yeah. So uh, I was trying to think. Like, all right, how many chevrons does this get? Is this a seven chevron day? Is this is this a uh, an episode that gets chevron seven chevrons? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't think it's quite a seven sure. chevron. Uh, there are other things that I think that that are even better um, than that than that. And so then I'm like, okay, so is this a five? Is this a six? Is this a five? Is this a six? Sure. I go back and forth, back and forth, and I was like, and then and then you thankfully here at the very end. Um, Got me thinking about all of the things. As I was bouncing back and forth there, I was thinking about this episode here uh, alone. And then you start tossing in all of those things that it advances in the greater story of things. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, of course, I know. <laughs> all this. And, and I'm like, okay. So, so all that is to say, I give this a six. Yeah. Right on. There you go. This was a good one. Yep. Um, Brent. Yes. We do have a couple of predictions oh good oh good oh good <laughs> this uh, is one of my favorite parts <laughs> all right, all right. so we have a prediction from arnacht again uh-huh. um and i'm reading this again for the first time and i'm noticing that the first uh paragraph is about uh 100 days so put a pin in that and we'll come back to that in a little bit okay we'll come, yep, prediction uh-huh. he predicts that brent will rate shades of gray five chevrons on account of the philosophical questions introduced stating that he would have rated it higher if not for the deus ex machina. Uh, literally, if you consider that the Asgard are the Norse gods at the end, that would probably <laughs> rate it higher since he almost invariably does. <laughs> <laughs> this is really, this is, that's, yes, I can completely see the logic behind this, 100%. Yep. And um, rate it five and one half chevrons. <laughs> um, so, well, there you go. Um, yes. So yeah. Um, well, thank you for that, Arnold. That was. We have another very- uh, prediction from David, uh, and mm-hmm. then we'll go back to our uh, our knocked, uh comments about hundred days. He mm-hmm. says, yes. "Shades of Gray is pretty good." Of course, we knew that Jack really hadn't gone rogue, but the reveal of how deep Mayborn and the NID were really were was good. Uh, five chevrons from each Brent and. Each five chevrons each from Brent and Zach, and, and uh, there you go. And I can completely see that five. Like I like it, for me, the magic really had to do with the first time seeing this for real. Like I'm, it, 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 and also I completely admit that I was naive to the whole thing until the very end, which was great fun. It's like it's like being on a roller coaster, and you're like, oh my gosh, that was the best. I don't know why it was a roller coaster. Whatever. It's good. Uh, sure. Good you know, whatever. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, Brent, uh, mm-hmm. here's a tease for you. Uh, one of the things that we're thinking about doing for Patreon is uh, inviting people out there to uh, vote on episodes for us to rewatch and reconsider moving forward. Yes, that's true. So, that's right. As we move forward in that, if you enter that appropriate level on the Patreon, uh, you can participate in in that. And uh, if we get enough votes on certain episodes, uh, we will certainly revisit them. And maybe this will be one of them. This could be. There you this go. This could absolutely be. Yeah. Uh, okay, Brent. What so, did uh, What did Arnacht have to say about 100 Days? Yes, he says... Uh, obviously Brent didn't know this, one of his criticisms of 100 Days, namely that the meteor would go straight through the gate and wipe out the SGC, is eventually addressed in an episode of Stargate Atlantis. 
without giving ah. full details. They establish that only full solid objects will pass through a gate. If even a part of them has passes the event uh, horizon, it won't go through. So basically, if you are pushed, uh, push a stick halfway through the gate, the other half of the stick won't materialize on the other side until the entire stick goes through the gate. So gotcha. um, while it's probably would have been appropriate for uh, some of the meteor bits, you know, small dust and whatnot to have gone through, that would have been plausible. For the whole meteor and everything to go through uh, probably wouldn't have happened because it would have gotten stopped um, before it got all the way through. Gotcha. Helpful to so, know. So that uh, solves that little plot hole that mm-hmm. you were working with. Yes. Uh, yep. Okay. So Good. Thanks. Brent says seven. I say six for mm-hmm. Shades of Grey. Our next episode, Brent, yes, is entitled New Ground. New Ground. Indeed. What's New Ground about? Oh, see, I'm immediately thinking about that Flash-based video and game site from the early 2000s called New Grounds, but I don't think I can make anything work with that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be real tough. Um, although this is exactly the time, more or less, when that site came out to be. Okay, we'll do it. We'll, we'll run with it. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> the SG-1 team travel through the gate to find themselves on a strange world. Everywhere they go, they find person after person staring at a computer screen. I know the internet's fun and all, but uh, is it this fun? Says Jack. Well, actually, uh, Jack, if you notice, uh, uh, currently the internet is uh, becoming a fantastic way for people to share ideas and uh, to to collaborate on different uh, different aspects. Uh, it, it will be a transformative technology back on Earth. But why are all these people using an internet internet type thing here on this random planet P three X nine four seventeen? Well, um. I'm sputtering out here. Here we go. Okay, uh, bringing it back. Um, so it turns out that they have been flung into the near future when, uh, in fact, the internet is not used for collaboration on anything fantastic, but in fact, it's used for uh, little uh, flash-based games and uh, videos. And I've... Join us next time on Stargate. <laughs> so next wow. time on Stargate SG-1... Brent tanks one <laughs> heads to a strange new world, and all of a sudden there's this thing that flies out of the sky and lands splat in front of them. It appears to be a host of a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Join us next time on Stargate SG-1 New Ground. Oh, don't tell me I have to get a new host. I don't want to do that. <laughs> no, no, I, I, it, it's fine. It, uh, it, it, it resets to zero at the end of the episode. Oh. It's fine. Ah. Okay, we're good. We're good. So, uh, so Zach, is yes. our episode about um, uh, people playing flash-based games? Suffice it to say, no. Oh, okay. Nor is it actually about podcasters falling out of the sky. Well, that's a disappointment. Well, but it is about what we are going to see when we watch the promo right now. Okay. Are you ready? I am ready. All right, here we go. Next time on Stargate SG-1. The team's arrival lands them in the middle of an ideological war. That hurt. And threatens the beliefs of an entire civilization. Mm -hmm. I like the uh, 
like the tinfoil hut in the back. This type of psychological warfare. Simulating the optic and gateway fallacy to undermine our most basic beliefs will not work. Huh. I am sure because we have not spent our lives praying to a god who does not exist. And many of our people have not lost their lives fighting a meaningless war. I won't accept that. It's all next time on Stargate huh. SG-1. Oh my. Well, okay then. We're going to have ourselves a little uh, existential crisis then, I guess so, aren't we? We're going to have something. All right. I'm excited about this. Yeah. I like that. This looks so, good. Uh, again, special thanks to David for putting yes, together these promos. Yes, absolutely. Um, they, are, they continue to be uh, awesome. And I love and enjoy them every, every week. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yes, <laughs> they're really good. Yeah. So, uh, tell us what you think about Shades of Grey. Uh, tell us what you think about Newground as we look forward. That's fine, too. Uh, tell us mm-hmm. what you think about uh, Brent's inability to predict Newground. Tell us what you think about uh, <laughs> uh, various ways that we could make uh, Patreon fun and exciting. Tell us ways that... Yeah. Uh, uh, whatever. Tell us what's on your mind. Email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. <laughs> Follow yeah. us on Twitter. Uh, talk to us there at Stargate Walking. Go to the Facebook page uh, and the Facebook group and, and join the conversation and, and start the conversation in some cases, and just have some fun as we engage in this wonderful thing called Stargate SG-1 fandom. Yeah, it's good stuff. And with that, I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.